Welcome to In the Midst, a podcast where we make room to sit in the midst of grief with others. I'm your host, Alyssa, and I am joined today by Amy Ludke. Uh, Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, I am a professor at Indiana Wesleyan teaching psychology. I am a pastor at Fairmont Wesleyan Church, pastor of care and connection. I'm a mom of two people, two people, two children that go to (laughs) Indiana Wesleyan. Uh, So they're both students here and a pastor's wife as well. So just a lot of different hats. Yeah, I actually met Amy my sophomore year of college. I took her marriage and family class and it was my first semester back after my dad had passed away and I was struggling pretty hard. I actually failed Amy's class I was failing Amy's class and um, she pulled me into her office to talk about why I wasn't doing well because I should have been doing well I mean the it wasn't so demanding that I could have been failing the way that I was and it was one of the first times that I really opened up to somebody and said this is what I'm going through and allowed myself to admit that grief was making it really hard for me to do other things because I wasn't processing well and I wasn't coping well and I didn't really feel allowed even in an academic setting to for that to be an excuse or for that to be a reason and I knew that I was feeling and I knew that I wasn't doing well but it wasn't until you sat down with me and asked me to share with you what was going on that I admitted that grief was making it hard for me to focus and that was really hard because I didn't want to be seen as less than a student. You know what I mean? Like I didn't right. want to seem like I wasn't capable when truthfully at the time, like there were a lot of mental and emotional things going on and even physical that were making it really hard for me to function normally. And no one until really meeting you mm. and admitting that I can't think of anyone who told me that that was okay. Yeah, I remember that time, too. I remember that you were very active and engaged in class, but that class was also really triggering because it was marriage and family. And I think it was the day that I wrote, what are your fondest memories of your mom and what are your fondest memories of your dad on the board? And you kind of anticipated what that day's conversation was going to be like, that you picked up your things and left. And I'm like, there's something going on. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, gosh. I was just, I was terrible. Um, But... In that meeting, I broke down and I just remember you very kindly telling me that you would be willing if I would have you to walk through grief with me and to meet with me weekly to talk about what was going on. And that was such a precious gift to me and it has been since. And we have met for years, for the last four years. Something like that, yeah. uh, On and off and... This, the last episode introduces my story and the five major losses that I've experienced in the last four years. And Amy has walked alongside me through all of them, but has known me through four of them. Mm-hmm. Um, so that re- our relationship is so special to me um, because Amy is my friend, but she's also my mentor and has counseled me through some of the hardest days of my life. Um, I think I shared in the 
first episode that it was your house I drove to on the day that Ben died. Mm-hmm. I mean, hours later, I went and hung out with the Capshaws for a little bit. And once more of my siblings reached their house, I came to you. And the first thing that I think I said was, I'm so tired. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't even, you know, physically tired as much as it was emotionally and mentally. And you understood that because you, you know, had been through the last four years with me. Yeah. And it's been a gift. Thank you, Alyssa. You didn't tell me you were going to make me cry when we did this. (laughs) (laughs) I haven't cried yet either. Um, So the way that I would like to start this episode and every episode following is just by asking you what your earliest memory of grief or loss is. Mm -hmm. I lost my first grandparent when I was nine years old, and I remember... I remember going through the motions, but I don't think I knew what it meant to lose somebody. Yeah. I have not lost either of my parents yet. I have now lost all four of my grandparents. But that first one, I was, I was just trying to understand what death was. And so standing next to her casket, feeling the coldness of her hands, wondering if I could make her pinky move like little nine-year-old stuff. And so... So that was a time of grief, but I think that the Lord took me through a grieving process for her again when I was 13, just through different series of events that the date of her death kept coming up, and it was it was still in my heart that that was the day that Grandma died. And so I re-grieved at 13 from a different perspective, and that, is, that has taught me, I, I didn't know it at 13, but now I know it now that every stage or every developmental milestone you hit you almost look at that death or loss in a new way because you're looking at it from another lens you you're a different person four years down the line or another stage down the line and you might have to re-grieve and that's okay that's so freeing to hear because as someone who's lost some really significant people and I'm sure people who are listening who have also experienced the same thing, I don't know how frequently we hear it's okay to re-grieve and there are going to be new things that come up and you grieve in a way that you didn't think before and you miss that person and there's that ache and there's, again, those feelings of, I wish you were here and I'm so sad that you're gone. Mm -hmm. So it's really freeing. Yes. And I think from my experience, that's been true going through even like, Regrieving as my siblings graduated from high school and entered college or regrieving as I graduated from college. Mm-hmm. I can picture myself regrieving graduating this semester and going through to this next stage of life and starting a new job. Like every time that I encounter something new that I wish I could share with my dad, I find myself again walking through that headspace of you're gone. And I can't believe it, but this is reality, and I miss you so much. Mm-hmm. So as someone who has studied psychology and knows a bit about how the brain works and has been in counseling settings, like you've counseled me and I know that you've counseled others, um, how does your knowledge and education play into walking alongside someone who's going through loss? Mm-hmm. Like what's going on in your head as you sit in that room with them and hear them share. Usually it's a lot of empathy. I'm feeling, trying to feel what they feel and understand where they're coming from and the depth of what the loss has meant to them. 
I'm also on trying to understand what more have they lost. So they they may have lost that person or they may have lost the idea of a perfect family or they may have lost uh, a pet or whatever the loss is, what else have they lost? The the childhood or the dream of what could be in the future. Like all of those things come with the initial loss. Yeah. So I'm just kind of processing how deep does this go and and how can I just be present with them in the moment? And I wonder, even looking at my own grief experiences, how much when I was sitting in those places was I grieving because I missed them? And how much did I realize how much they would miss out on? And that was adding to it. Like, I don't know the balance, but I know that both have crossed my mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What do, we, what do we know about grief from a psychological perspective? Well, we have known that there are stages of grief, and I'll run through those five real quick, but we also know that uh, even though the particular researcher that that came up with these five stages, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross is her name, uh, she had a certain set uh, progression through the stages and that they go in this order and this is what people experience. And we know now, and she actually was researching people who are grieving their own death they're facing their own death that's how she originally came up with these five stages and now we call them the stages of grief so it's people watching those who die and all of that or diagnosed with something so stage one is denial that's where you're not even acknowledging that there's something wrong whether you're the person that just refuses to go to the doctor or you're just someone that I can't accept it I can't accept that somebody's about to die or died Uh, Then there is the anger stage where you're just completely angry about what's happening. It's not anyone's fault and it's nothing that you can do. So it's a loss of control and it's aggravating. And actually that's a good thing because that means you're no longer in denial. And so anger is not bad. It's just, just one of the pieces. Then there's bargaining. And the third stage is trying to make deals with God. Lord, let me stay alive until I can get to that college graduation or see this baby born or get to that wedding, that kind of bargaining. Uh, Then there's depression, fourthly, and that is just finally allowing yourself to be sad and just grieve. And finally, there's acceptance. And so those are the five stages. But again, you can go through those in any order. You can skip one or two and not even deal with those things. So it's not a prescription necessarily. It's just a description of possible grief. Yeah. And I think it's good to be clear about like that you can't put people into a box when it comes to grief. Like it's very unique and situational. And Mm -hmm. like you said, like some people skip stages. I think I skipped denial and anger and went straight to bargaining Mm -hmm. in some of them. Or I was in denial and then went straight to acceptance. Like I think I skipped a lot of them. But I like that you said that they're not, what did you say? They're not prescriptive. Like you have to go through it like this. Yeah, they're They're descriptive. descriptive. That's Mm -hmm. so good. Yeah. Because I think people who have just walked through grief, who might be listening, might just hear these clinical terms Mm -hmm. and think and, and be annoyed. I would, right out of, fresh out of grief, I would be annoyed. So I think it's freeing to hear that these are just helpful ways to frame where we're at, but they aren't 
it's it's if you don't follow that pattern, you're not grieving wrong because there is no right way to grieve. Really, there's not a handbook. Nobody gives you a manual and says, "Here's how to do it. Here's everything you need to know." Mm-hmm. And a big point of this podcast is to hear from other people's experiences and to recognize that we're not alone in a lot of the things that we ended up walking through. And what would it look like? What would grief look like in the church and in the world in general if we had more conversations about it? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, because there's more grief than what meets the eye, not just the grieving of a death. And that is a big one, absolutely. But there's grieving over the loss of a spouse through divorce yeah. or the loss of a wayward child that you thought you brought up well or what there's so many losses that we just don't recognize that you're allowed to grieve for many things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that word grieve is not like it's, it doesn't fit a timeline. The grieving process doesn't fit a timeline. Exactly. You can bypass anniversaries like you were talking about and birthdays and it could be five years down the line and you could still feel one year out. Like mm-hmm. there's, you just can't, you can't put a timeline on that space or on sitting in the feelings that arise, whether it be anger or sadness or bitterness or whatever that might look like. We, we can't say, well, four years from now, like I'll be okay. You might be better and you might be able to handle the losses mm-hmm. or those feelings differently, but it's, it's not really something that you ever get over I would say right right when you said something that I have written down as a quote and used with other people and what you said in one of our sessions was grief is not a log you step over and keep moving on grief is a log you carry with you and I loved that because it it's not a one-time thing if you kind of think of yourself on an upward trajectory like I'm coming out of this but there's no timeline but there may be a trigger. There may be a sight, a sound, a smell, a holiday, yeah. a memory that makes you dip and you grieve again. Or it's another milestone that you're hitting and that person doesn't get to hit with you. So you grieve and you dip. But if you just keep on going on that upward trajectory, every time you do dip, it's never as low as the very first dip. And right. so you find that you do find you have hope uh, as long as if I can throw this in at the bottom, at the at the start, when you're in the worst kind of grief, if you allow yourself to just be, yeah. if you allow yourself to be sad and name it and claim it, uh, not try to put on a happy face for everyone, but go ahead and grieve and uh, allow others to serve you uh, and allow those friendships and family members to walk beside you. That is one of the most healthy ways to grieve so that you aren't denying your, your feelings and trying to move up on this trajectory, and then the dips never seem to get better. They just keep going further down or just because you've stuffed feelings that need to get out. Yeah. And I couldn't have carried that log on my own. And in my mind, I don't. Like, in in a lot of ways, that analogy could sound like grief is burdensome. But truthfully, I, and I've said it already, I think the Grief is a side effect of love. And I just have had the honor of loving so deeply and knowing those people and being known by them that for the rest of my life, I'll miss their presence. Yes. Um, 
But I never care. I have never carried that on my own. I've attempted to, mm-hmm. and when it got really heavy was when I was you know we're on that upward and you hit a divot and I realized yeah I can't do this by myself and I had to come to I think a rock bottom place to understand that and fully accept that I needed community and I needed people. Yes. Yep. Absolutely. Do you frequently encounter people who come to you with the mindset that grief is something they have to get over? Yes. Yes. Just today, in fact, I had someone in my office that didn't want to burden their friends, didn't want to be a burden, so to speak. They they felt guilty because they're the happy one in the friend group and now they're sad and they can't spend their time with their friends being the happy and giving, giving, giving. Yeah. And I just reminded him that doing life is bonding on the mountaintops and in the valleys. Yeah. And so to only have mountaintop and fun, fun, fun is more of a surface friendship but if you're walking beside people in that group that are willing to be in the valley with you and cry with you and sit for hours and listen, and then you for them, and it's it's a two-way street, there is a bond there that's more lasting and more deep than you'll have in any other friend groups or, or family groups because you've walked through that together. Yeah. Why do you think it is, first, that we feel like we have to get over it. And second, that we feel like a burden to people when we're grieving. Where do you think that comes from? I think there's a societal stigma that you can't you can't ask for anything. You have to do everything on your own as if it's more like individualistic. And you, you've already said it. We're made for community. We're made for God and to rely on him. And so it is okay to be weak. America makes it out to be like we have to be strong 100% of the time and we can never be weak. Well, the beauty in being weak is that you lean together. You're actually stronger walking together with others in all of your weaknesses than you are individually, if that makes strong, on your best day. Yeah. Yeah. What part do you think the church plays in that misconception? The church may give a message that if you only had more faith, that you would be mm-hmm. fine. Yeah. Uh, it could. It's also it's also the beautiful institution that God made to walk beside people in their grief and in their weaknesses and whatever they're going through. But yes, the church uh, has its own faults, and so it may cause people to feel like I I must not believe in God enough. Uh, mm-hmm. And really, it's it's really people that need to be God to the grieving one. Right. Yeah. Because if we look at the life of Jesus, he practiced sitting with people mm-hmm. really well yeah. and didn't rush them through. Mm-hmm. Something really unique about you and your role is that you are a pastor and you are married to a pastor. And I'm curious to know how many people do you see on a daily basis, or on a, not a daily basis, but weekly, monthly, who come in and they're not a part of your church per se, but they have just lost someone and they're turning to you for help? Yes, it is quite a balance. We have to be extra kind and gentle and empathetic, of course, with everybody, whether they're a believer or not. But there is also... Uh, 
a reason why they may have asked somebody from the church to do their funeral or to speak into their life. And so we've had both. We've had people ask us and they want all the scripture in the funeral service and they want us to be pastor. Then we've had others come in and ask us to do it and say, we have absolutely no desire for you to read any scripture. And so that's where the balance comes in because we gently ask, uh, but straightforwardly, uh, but you've asked a pastor, you've asked a church to get right. involved. And so we've we've uh, tried to respect their wishes, but we'll still work in biblical virtues and ways to to honor the family, what they've asked, without dishonoring our God and who we serve. And so we've we've had a little bit of tricks and tips on, on doing that. Like they mentioned they love a certain author. Uh, I'm thinking of one particular family. And so... We may not have actually said we were reading scripture, but we were reading scripture, number one. And then this certain author that they love happened to be a Christian. And so we oh. found a paragraph in oh. that book and um, and read the paragraph because that's their favorite author. And so that was really helpful that the Lord just kind of worked it out, that's that we cool. could just work in Jesus <laughs> without <laughs> saying Jesus necessarily. What do you? What are some differences you notice between the grieving processes of Christians and the grieving processes of non-believers? Yeah, I actually worked for a funeral home way back, uh, just out of college, and I was doing different pre-arranging funeral uh, funerals and buying caskets. All that wasn't a fun job. <laughs> Nobody <laughs> wants to talk about their own death. Yet, uh, I was also around the funeral home when different types of people were killed or or died of natural causes and just watching different families, how they reacted. Mm-hmm. And you, the, the premise of this podcast is hope. And you would be amazed at the difference in the level of hope there is between a believer and a non-believer. And so, I watched non-believers throw themselves on the casket and wail and mourn and scream without hope. And I don't know if I can even describe it in words, the difference. I mean, a, a believer could also happen to do that, just be so forlorn that they are wailing and screaming. But my thoughts just went to weeping and gnashing of teeth, like the way that hell is described, like they were going through a hell. Mm-hmm. And uh, the the people who are believers, they they grieved, but they had this hope that there would be a, a time that they would see their loved one again, or that there was a there was a process that was going to be for the good, yeah. even even though they may not put that into words at the time. Yeah. Because for people who don't know Christ, death is the end and it's final right and yeah one of the things that I hope to drive home in this entire podcast is that hope doesn't exempt us from suffering and from the things that we experience when we're walking through great loss Mm -hmm. but it does inform the way that we walk through that and the difference is perspective and so for those people they can just see they they understand even in, in the middle in the midst of their pain they understand that there's something else going on and there is more and this is not the end. Right. Right. You also mentioned the ministry of presence um, off record. 
And I just want to hear a little bit about that and how that plays into your role as a pastor and in your life in general. What is the ministry of presence and how do you live that out? I've experienced it for myself uh, before I ever practiced it with others. I just, when you're grieving or hurting and it doesn't feel like you, well, let me back up. The people that are ministering to you, it may not feel to them like they're doing much. But the one who's hurting remembers after the fact, maybe not in the moment, but after when they're recapping, that person sat with me for hours. Mm -hmm. That person stood in line for hours to just hug me uh, at the funeral home and leave. That person brought a meal, you know. I'm so grateful. They made sure that my favorite dessert was there. Like there was all kinds of ways that I've heard and I've experienced where every one of those faces come back or we pour over the guest book and we realize how kind they were to drive so far. And so all of those things I've been, I've seen and I've heard people talk about. And so it just reminds me that just showing up, just being there, whatever role you play, whatever is part of your gift set. Mm -hmm do it for the person that's hurting. Yeah, it's really, it's really powerful. Mm -hmm. And experiencing that in my own life, it's been one of the most helpful things that others have done for me Mm -hmm. when I'm in the middle of just experiencing loss and feeling the heaviness of that. And I remember one of the first things you asked me after Landon had passed away and after Ben You asked me, who is Landon to you or who has been to you? Can you tell me about them? Mm -hmm. And that was so helpful because you came and you sat with me and it wasn't, you didn't make it about you. You were just willing to sit with me in in whatever it was that I was feeling. And I remember there were times where people did the opposite of that. We had two funerals for my dad. We had one in Fishers and one in Lansing just because of the community that we had in both places and the drive and Anyway, uh, we there was people who came through the line in the service in, in one of in, in Lansing. Sorry, I have to start over because I stumbled over my words. There were people who came through the line at the service in Lansing who looked my mom in the face. There were more people in line. There were more people to hug. And we had already been there for a while. And my mom is beside herself. I mean, she is like in the midst of like this great shock, great sorrow. Mm -hmm. The love of her life has just passed away. She's been with him for over half her life, you know, and these people look her in the, in the eye and hug her and say, do you remember me? And like, what? I mean, she's got so much filled in her head, in her head. in that moment Mm -hmm. that looking in the face of someone who she probably hadn't seen in years and years and years, it was so kind of them to come and to be there, but to ask her in that moment if they remembered her for her to try to find a name. I mean, mm-hmm. it's just not the time. Right. And it just, it's not about whether I remember your name right now. If I, you know, mm-hmm. it's just knowing that you, you cared and you were there and maybe I'll remember later, but in that moment, not a good time to ask. Right. Right. Or immediately introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Amy. And I, I know so-and-so from church and yeah, just yeah. right away and just, take the edge off the awkwardness off yeah that would be great advice for people to know what not to do sometimes with grief what not to say oh god needed them in heaven or they're gonna be picking up their their angel wings anytime it's like first of all 
neither of those are true. Right. <laughs> versus helpful. <laughs> so, right. Yeah. That was a bit of a tangent, but I'm glad we get to talk about some practical things and some things that were not helpful. Yeah. Because uh, there's a lot of ways that people un- unknowingly make sitting with someone else in grief about them whether that's through like awkwardness or doing what those people did and or even sharing before it's a good time, like trying to relate before yes. that person is ready to hear that you can relate. Like, yes, it's just it's it's a balance for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. They're not ready to listen to your whole story and all that you went through and all the advice that you have for them. It's just not the time. That's perfect wording. Yeah. I think the best thing to say is I'm so sorry. And, and it's okay. We all want to say something and we don't know what to say. And so that's usually the best, best way to go. And when you mentioned uh, Ben and Landon and what I asked you about them, I, I just remembered that people want to be able to say the name of their loved one. And so if, if you can allow them to say that name, whether that's in the moment of grief right after it ha- it's happened or six months down the road, you know, my dad was this to me or my yeah. child Ben was and like be able to say their name and not be afraid that they're still bringing it up six months later or four years later. Yeah. Yeah. But the biggest thing to highlight is just to sit with them to be with is yes. just the, the biggest thing that works. Mm-hmm. And it's been a learning process for me being a couple years out and encountering people who have also walked through loss, learning how to sit with them for a while and not throwing my story in their face right away and asking them and practicing what people who knew what to do, practicing what they did with me and doing that with other people. And I've had some people come to me and say, how can I support my friend? And so that's a good time to share and say, oh, well, here are some helpful things for me. But also grief is really unique, so it's not going to be the same for everybody. But even though... I've experienced a lot of loss. It's been a learning process to walk through loss with other people sure, because it's so different. But one of the things that I've gone to every single time and tried to do above all is just sit in silence with them, ask questions mm-hmm. uh, about who that person was to them, but really just, yeah, be with right. the big deal. Yeah. I also want to talk a little bit about the stigma around going to counseling and actually receiving help from someone who has studied this professionally Mm -hmm. where in the world do you think that fear comes from yeah I think it comes back to feeling weak or having to take care of things on your own and that's exactly when feelings get stuffed and so counseling is an excellent place to be able to let feelings out so so is it with a parent or a trusted friend or in a journal I mean there's all all kinds of good coping Uh, healthy ways to cope. But counseling is extra helpful if you just find that you, you need a place to talk. And you have, you're kind of getting the feeling that you're tapping people around you out. So this might be six months down the road or a year down the road, there's no timeline for it. But to have someone that who is willing to listen or an hour and just make it about you because there's times that you just need to, you just need to grieve and you just need to make it about you. But maybe friends who have listened for hours on end and they also have lives that 
can't stop everything, you know, once we're down the road a little bit. I kind of give the advice to to people who are grieving, spread it out a little bit. So, and again, this is down the road. It's not right in the moment when, when everyone rushes to you. But after after a while, you can, you know, go to lunch with this friend and talk about it. Go to lunch with that friend and talk about it. And go to a pastor. And so you're kind of spreading around your grief. So you're able to talk about it and get what you need. And you're meeting your needs and allowing God to meet your needs. But you're not tapping any one person out. And so I think that's another good reason for counseling. And besides that, they have the training on making sure that you're coping in a healthy way. Right. There was a student I had walked next to and I was pressing her about her identity. And I was wondering if she had her identity wrapped up in the person that she lost. And so I made sure that she understood. And again, this is down the road, not in the the timing where she needed me just to listen or just be empathetic, but when it was okay to press, uh, that there's only one thing that cannot be taken from us. There's only one thing that's not going to be shaken, and that's Jesus Christ. Everything else really can be taken. And um, as much as we try to hold on and control, and so if we find our identity in anything other than Jesus then we will we will reach a level of devastation that is difficult to return from not impossible but it's it's something to and again not to say that your identity in Christ means that you don't grieve you absolutely right. do grieve and you feel and you you are in despair sometimes to quote biblical terms but it's something that you still have that stable foundation and you still have that hope when your identity is in him and you know that things are going to be okay eventually, maybe not overnight. And I remember sitting in some meetings with you and you challenging me on my identity and on other things, like pressing in and pushing me when I was a little bit stuck in one area, um, pushing me to see it from a different perspective or to regain some perspective. And that's really hard. And I think if it, I think in order for counseling to work, the person receiving has to own it. Like there are a lot of people in my life who wanted me to go to counseling and I tried a professional counselor and it, and it didn't work out. And there were people who were telling me, I want you to get better and I want you, you know, to have better ways to cope. And it it would not have worked until I was ready to sit down and own it because that's the only way I could have walked through those challenging meetings where you were really pressing in on me. That's the only way that I really could have done it because I was willing to receive the pushback and the feedback and the challenge in all of it. Yeah, we had a level of trust between us and I, I would not have done a lot of pushing had we not had that yet I would have still been bent on gaining your trust yeah and I think sometimes our friends might be driven to want to push that way too Mm. and it's harder to let our friends do it I think and so it's good to have someone who is a trusted resource that you've given that authority to Mm. yeah what do you wish people knew about receiving counseling specifically for grief but just in general what do you wish people knew mm-hmm. it's healthy it's good we are such in a practice of denying our feelings and when you deny your feelings you prolong the problem yeah. so 
then you're right back to square one a lot of the time. And so counseling is getting in touch with your feelings, and that's scary for some people. But if you have a good counselor that's trustworthy, they'll hold that in high regard. They'll take their their role as a one of privilege and and one to be on, you know, to honor that relationship. And they are, I would also suggest a Christian counselor just because maybe they would have similar values yeah. uh, to you. But yeah. but that, that it's worth it. It's worth the money. It's worth not carrying on into your next stage of life when perhaps you're getting married or you're having a child and you're still carrying the hurt, the baggage, whatever it is. Uh, the anger around and not dealt with it. And like I just mentioned, I had a lot of friends and family who wanted me to go to counseling. And at the time it just wasn't well received by me. And my siblings have also had a hard time receiving that push. So what advice would you give to friends or lay leaders or pastors of people who are grieving when they see that that person needs some professional counseling, that sort of aid what advice would you give to them for how to go about that conversation in a way that's going to be kind and in a way that doesn't communicate to the grieving person that they're too much? Right. I would probably uh, remind them of how much you love them and or how much you care for them, whatever the appropriate phrase would be, and then say, maybe even make it about you. That might be helpful terminology. I don't think that I can take you to the next stage. I'm still willing to walk along beside you, but I don't think I have the professional or the training that you need uh, from somebody. And so would you consider this? I'll go with you to your first appointment if you want me to or whatever, whatever it takes. So they don't feel abandoned by you, but they recognize that you're feeling like you can't help make much more of a difference. And to people who are grieving... That might be taken really personally, but I think it's really important to note that that encouragement only comes from someone who cares about your well-being enough to realize that so much of what you need, they can't provide for you. And it doesn't mean that you're a burden, right? and it doesn't mean that they want to be your friend any less. It just means that there are some things that we need because grief takes a toll. Mm-hmm mentally and physically and emotionally and it changes it changes a lot yes and there are things that our friends who are not trained and not educated or our pastors who may not be well trained or well educated can't give to us and so we have to make sure that people are working within their competency yes and that we receive that and don't take it into ourselves to mean I'm too much for them this is too much for them I have to shut off all the grieving in my life so that I can be normal and people want to be around me. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, I, I, this sounds a little bit harsh, but since it's going to be possible uh, student pastors that are listening to this or, or student social workers or whatever, uh, there may even be a kind of a, a set limit of sessions that you might be willing to have in your mind. You, It's usually not appropriate to... Sp- say that in front of the person, like, I'll give you three sessions to grieve, you know, <laughs> not like that. But in your own mind, um, I could probably, I can probably sit with them for three or four sessions and make sure that they know that they are loved and this church or this group is going to walk beside them. 
Uh, but then it may come to a place at session three or four that I start introducing the idea of, of professional counseling so that I, so they don't become something that continue to come back and never really get the help they need. I would even argue that it would be okay to say that right off the bat so that the person knows even in the first session and the second session that they are doing their best and they're listening for what they can. But it, if it came to a point yeah. and when it does come to a point where they say, what if we looked outside of this and looked into counseling, then it doesn't feel like, oh, what I've shared with you up to this point has been too much and you're ready to bow out already. That's a great point. I agree. Totally agree with that. Being up front from the beginning, maybe even offer that the church pays for the first couple of sessions with their counselor and that you'll help find a good counselor. Yeah, there's definitely ways that you can walk beside them and help them to feel helped and not dropped. Yeah. What are some good ways that pastors can network to find counselors and counseling centers that they trust? Mm Mm-hmm. I would ask Christian counselors in your area if they have a list of recommendations or referral counselors. That's I do that for this area. For Grant County, I just keep my own referral list going and, and then just send that out to freely, freely to people. And then every so often I'll check in with all my counselor friends. Are you still doing it on this day? You still charge this much? All that to keep the list updated. But just asking the actual counseling uh, entities who do you recommend? Who do you refer to? And, and just get, get lists from all of them and, and put something together. Mm-hmm. That's good. Do you have any other resources that you would recommend either for pastors, lay leaders, friends, or, or people who are grieving? Yes, there is this little book. Well, it's not little. It's big. Uh, think children's book. That's the way it's set up where it's bigger than a, an eight and a half by 11 piece of paper. Uh, it's hardback and it's thin and it's called Tear Soup, and it would be a wonderful gift to give to somebody, and maybe they don't read it right away, but maybe they find it on their shelf later, and it just is another way to help them heal, where they read through Tear Soup, and they and they just see that this grandma or mother, whoever's grieving, is putting all the different things that hurt into her soup and stirs it up, and uh, they never even name what she's grieving, which is good because it could be given to anybody, whatever grief they're going right. through. And so I would recommend that as a, a gift for someone who's grieving. You gifted that to me once. Oh, I still have it. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, I treasure that book. I shared that with my family, but I have also treasured over the years the ways that you have just been so patient to sit with me and the ways that you have been willing to challenge me and just allow the spirit to lead the times that we share together. It's been so fruitful. And I, some of the stories and analogies and breakthroughs that I've experienced in each grieving process have come from our meetings. And I think a lot of that is because, I mean, you recommend seeing a Christian counselor. And I think a lot of it is because you love the Lord so much and that has driven your love for me and your desire to see him use this grief to shape me and the ways that you desire to see me be healed from some of the things that I've experienced. Um, and I'm just so grateful for your wisdom and, and really glad that some other people get to hear a bit of that from you. Thank you, Alyssa. I have loved meeting with you and really becoming a friend with you. I want to just return the compliment because 
even though most of our talks are about something that's hard, I still see the joy in you. I still see your depth, your intelligence, your zest for life. And so I know sometimes grieving people are are worried that they'll never get back who they are deep down. And yeah. and I still see that in you, and it's beautiful. Yeah. I remember talking with you about how I hadn't laughed in a long time. I remember there was a period of time where I didn't think that I would laugh again mm. or smile genuinely. Yeah, and you are. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much, Amy, for being willing and for sharing with me and with the rest of those who are listening. I just appreciate you so much. You're so welcome. Mm-hmm.